This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to focus somewhat on, uh, on these verses today, verses 14 and 15 of uh, Hebrews chapter 2. You've read these verses a number of times, I'm sure, and probably as you have read through these verses, never really applied them to aging or to the prospect of dying, um, but, um, but they do apply. Verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 2 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He's talking about Christ. He became us, like us, uh, Christ in the flesh. Uh, through death, that through death he might, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Um, we're going to see clearly today, I think, how much in bondage the unbeliever is to the fear of death. Uh, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, but for us who know Christ, that fear has been dispelled. And, uh, and if that fear is still in you, if you still fear death, uh, we're going to talk about that today. And I hope that maybe some of the things that, that God's put on my heart to say to you will be a help in that area. And uh, will give you strength. But given the problems that old age, that uh, aging presents... Uh, many of which we talked about last Sunday. Uh, we, we went through the, all the losses that we experienced in this aging process last week. But we ended on a light note, didn't we? A wonderful, joyous note that it's not loss for us, really. It's gain. Wonderful gain. Uh, to be with Christ is gain, Paul said. Anyway, it's no wonder that the unsaved uh, are almost totally... Um, uh, vilify the, the idea of getting old, of aging. There was a time when old age was looked upon with, with great respect. But in our society, uh, those days are kind of history. We see today a, 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 an accumulative or growing, particularly in our age, a growing disrespect for elderly people. Um, as a pastor, I, I don't do this so much anymore, but as a pastor, I used to go frequently into uh, retirement homes and nursing homes and things, of, uh, institutions of that nature. And it became a reality to me that there were some people in those places that were put there because the family didn't want anything to do with them anymore. They were in the way. And so they put them out of the way. And I can't tell you the numbers of people that were in those institutions, that are in those institutions, said to me, Pastor, my family doesn't even come see me anymore. You know, that's sad. That is very sad when that happens. I don't, I, I don't think I'm talking to anybody here today that, that you've experienced that with your parents. At least I hope not. But the truth is that that does happen. Uh, elderly people seem to get in the way, so we just want to, Put them out of sight. Put them away somewhere where they won't be a bother to us, where they won't be 
uh, uh, we won't be under pressure to take care of them. Some older people uh, make every effort to appear younger than they really are. Um, I don't know that there's anything wrong with that, but it seems like some of these efforts are almost vain. Um, they have surgical facelifts. Others have cream applications to remove bags under their eyes. Last night, I was watching a television program, and within, within a few minutes of each other, there were two commercials for, for creams like that. You know, you rub it on, the, and the wrinkles are gone. Really? Botox, cosmetic treatments have become very popular. One commercial I read about Botox stated this. You've got this in your notes. Read along. Here I'm quoting. Um, it stated that Botox is an FDA-approved aesthetic product that temporarily, underline that one, that temporarily makes moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, uh, forehead lines look better in adults. Notice that word temporarily. I asked you to underline it. Temporarily. That probably makes the effort, uh, makes it a vain effort, don't you think? It's just temporary. And uh, I don't know how long it lasts. But there are other products and services that are sold that are offered in an attempt to stem, at least to cover up the ravages of time on the body. Now all we do have to do is just look at each other. Uh, some of them are worse than others. Ron Reed's not here today. Ron, are you watching by TV? <laughs> you should be here to defend yourself. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know why I mentioned him. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> He's easy to pick on. He picks on me, so I pick on him. You know, fair game, right? You got that, Ron? Cheer up. Okay. Uh, where was I? I lost my place here. Yeah, we hear people. We hear people say that um, older people ought to give up their place. Well, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not there yet. Okay, that probably makes it a vain effort. There, there are other products and services that are that are attempted. So that brings us to Roman numeral number one in our outline here. The unsaved world's assessment of aging. The unsaved have a rather weird assessment of aging. Beside all these feeble efforts that I just mentioned, we hear expressions like old coot or old fogey and the likes. And that summarizes the attitude of too many people, I think. I've never appreciated children referring to their parents as the old man or the old lady. That's always been an offense to me, even when I was a child. I never considered my parents, I, I never referred to my parents as the old man or the old lady. That is so disrespectful. It's disrespectful to the ones that God gave us to train us to be, to be something and acceptable in our society. And uh, it, it's so disrespectful for that. But anyway, um, we hear people say that older people ought to give up their place in life and make room for the younger ones. Well, 
My response to that is there's plenty of room for both of us. We don't need to make room for anybody. Uh, we both fit very well together in, in life. And, and that's the way God made it. Put the word made in there, in your notes there. That's the way God made it. Your notes doesn't have the word made, I think. Your, your notes read, that's the way God it. All right. That's a old age writing that. There are moves among liberal thinkers today to restrict costly medication, med medical procedures and medications, or at least to limit them to those that are older. Change that word younger there to older. That's a mistake in your notes. They live their lives. They should be willing for the younger ones to have these treatments and medications, we're told. And then from time to time, extermination of the age is ventured. You remember Jack Kevorkian? How many of you remember Jack Kevorkian? Back in the late 1900s, he was known as Dr. Death. He was convicted and imprisoned in 1999 for killing more than 100 elderly people. And the problem is that more and more people are supporters of that position. Um, the announcement of his death in the New York Times in 2011 uh, began with these words, and I'm quoting. Dr. Jack Kevorkian, the medical pathologist, who willfully helped dozens of, terminate, uh, of terminally ill people end their lives, became the central figure uh, in the national drama surrounding assisted suicides, died Friday in Oak, in Oak Royal, uh, Royal Oak, Michigan. Uh, he was 83 years old. Actually, it wasn't dozens of people. He confessed to killing more than 130 of his patients with uh, assisted suicide. Thank God that they, he, did, he was brought to justice. He was convicted of it and spent time in prison for that. But George James says, age is the most terrible misfortune that can happen to any man. Do you believe that? I don't. I don't believe that at all. A fellow by the name of, of B.F. Skinner at the age of 79, wrote this. He says, it's characteristic for our present culture that, with rare exceptions, little admiration, admiration, little admiration and respect are shown for old people. And as I mentioned earlier on, I think that's becoming more and more a part of our culture today, is for people to have that kind of an attitude uh, toward folks like us. And um, as I noted before, saying, as sayings and names that are not too complimentary are abundant. The old coot, the old goat, it's from the saying, uh, the, I understand it's from the saying, an old goat is not respected for his beard. And the old coot, probably a corruption of the old goat. And the old codger, and who knows where that came from, are typical derogatory terms for people that may, may find themselves more difficult to function than they did when they were, when they were younger. Now, we've all heard those terms. And the truth is, maybe when we were younger, we used some of those terms. We, we should be ashamed of ourselves if we did. Amen? All right, so that's the unsaved world's assessment of aging. So Roman numeral number two, the believer's assessment of aging. 
Now, before we actually get to the believer's assessment, well, we are here in just a couple seconds, but, but we're going to still be a little more negative here when we, when we compare it with what the, the unbelieved world uh, says. But the world insults older people because they become a burden to those who insult them. The older, the older folks, uh, the older folks are a grim reminder of what lies ahead for them. Um, sometimes uh, is, is something that the older generation doesn't think or, or doesn't want to think about. Get them out of the way, out of sight where we don't have to look on them is the attitude exhibited by many of the younger generation. And in this regard, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15 speaks of those who, through the fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to its bondage, to the bondage of death. So letter A, the Bible gives a, per, a proper perspective of aging. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter. And of course, that, that, that means an awful lot to us, but there's a couple verses there that where we really find the proper perspective that we as believers ought to have for dying, toward dying. So let's read these verses. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 and 57. They're on the screen. They should be. There they go. Here it is. <clears throat> The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. That simply means that the, our sin is strengthened by the law that God gave. Our sin is a violation of the law of God. And that's what makes it a sting. That's what makes it so bad is because when we sin, we violate the, 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 the law of God, the principles of God. And uh, so let's continue reading here. But... Thanks be to God who giveth us, what's the next word? The victory. That's our perspective of, of death. It's victory. When a Christian dies, they'll say, praise God, he's got the victory. It's the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thayer, in his Greek-English lexicon, describes this sting as the sting of scorpions. And he says this, quote, Since animals wound by their sting and even cause death, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, attributes it to death. And then Thayer goes on to say that, that, that sin is a sting because sin is death's cause, uh, uh, death's cause and punishment. Uh, we die because of sin. We die because of the curse. Remember we talked about that last week, that what you and I are experiencing in our, in our later years of life, in our older years, all these aches and pains that we have to go through, the wrinkles and all that sort of thing, is a, is a part of the curse of God. It's a, it's a result of the fall. And you remember the first sentence of my conclusion in the lesson last week was, Adam, why did you do this to us? You see. Anyway, for the believer, however, the sting of death is, is minimal. It's confined only to the process that leads up to the point of death. And then beyond that point, it's victory. We're headed for victory, folks. 
We're headed for victory. Letter B. Um, the Bible's perspective is in stark contrast to the non-biblical perspective. Non-biblical is the word you're looking for here. The Bible in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, this is an interesting passage of scripture. You've, you've read this and maybe haven't quite understood what Solomon was trying to tell us there, so we're going to look at it today. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and, and turn there in your Bibles, the first seven verses of that chapter, there's a description of, de of declining years that, were, that the world has bought. This is, this is the way the world looks at aging here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It speaks to the effects of aging from a perspective of those who live only for what they can get under the sun, in this life under the sun. And according to Milton Terry, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verses 1 through 7 sets forth the, the, uh, uh, the, sen the sensuous, dreary view of old age as an evil time. In other words, the period of life that we're going through right now is an evil time. Really? The sensualist, the sensualist is a person who is in persistent and excessive pursuit of sensual pleasures and interests. That's according to the Merriam-Webster uh, Webster Dictionary. And um, all he sees, all the unsafe sees, in the aging, in the aging process is corruption, decay, and, um, and uh, desperation. So number one under B, the non-biblical perspective is all negative, nothing positive. So, uh, you have your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Let's take a look at these verses. I'm going to read them, then we'll go back and make some comments about these verses. <clears throat> Remember, as Solomon writes this, he's, he's writing the book of Proverbs from the perspective of the person under the sun. Uh, from, a, from a human perspective is the way most of the book of the Proverbs, most of the book of Ecclesiastes, did I, did I say Proverbs? Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of somebody, uh, uh, from the human perspective. And so here's what he says. Solomon says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth while the, while the evil days come not. Before the evil days come, and so he's referring now the evil days as being the latter days of life when, when we're going through all these aches and pains and so forth, problems. But he says, remember your creator, creator before you get there. Uh, Nor the ears draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Uh, probably all of us have said one time or another, boy, this arthritis, I don't have any pleasure in that. Anybody said that? I have. I have aches and pains from arthritis all the time. I take Tylenol, but that doesn't seem to help a whole lot. And so Solomon said, be wise and consider your creator, creator before you get there. Because from a world's perspective, here's what, here's what we're looking at, beginning at verse 2. While the stars or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble 
and the strong man shall bow themselves. The strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease. You know what the grinders are here? Somebody, yeah, their teeth. <laughs> I'm not, not going to. You know, I thank God I've still got all my teeth except for I'm right back there. I had, I had one of my wisdom teeth. I'm not as wise now as I used to be. <laughs> had one of my wisdom te teeth pulled last year. I've had them all, this, all these years. When I was, no, I'm not going to go there. I've, I'm not going to take that time. All right. Anyway, while the grinders, where, where is that? I, let me find it here. Uh, uh, verse 3. And the grinders uh, cease because they're, they're few. Dr. Bob Sr. used to, used to talk about an old black lady sitting on the porch that he had passed going to school every day. And he'd, he'd say, howdy, and he'd call her name. How you doing? I will call her Sadie. I don't, I'm not sure what her name was. How you doing, Sadie? And she'd always respond back, very well, thank you. And one day Dr. Bob was talking to her and she said, I only got two teeth, but thank God they hit. Well, that's a good perspective, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and those that look out of the windows are darkened. The windows, these are the windows, folks, right here, that take the place of our eyes, okay? And the door shall be shut in the streets, and the sound of the, sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the, all the daughters of music shall... Uh, be brought, shall be brought low. That has to do with our hearing. Anybody else wear these beside me? Yeah. Okay. Also when they shall be afraid of that which is high. And fear shall be in the way. And the almond tree shall flourish. And the grasshopper shall be a burden. And desire shall fail. Because men goeth to his long home. Um, and the mourners go to the street. All right. <clears throat> uh, or ever the civil cord, silver cord be loosed, and the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel be broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return unto the earth as it was. That's we're going in the grave. And the spirits return unto God who gave it. Now, let's, let me give you a few thoughts. You've got them there in your notes, but... Let's just take a look at them. Here's what Solomon's saying here. In verse 2, he's, uh, verse 2 depicts stormy weather ahead, trouble like a returning cloud raining profusely on your parade. Verse 3 talks about or speaks about uh, the, the arms and the hands feebly trembling, the legs weakened, the back stooped, teeth missing, and eyes failing. Verse 4 alludes to the loss of appetite, the problem of getting a good night's sleep, and the loss of hearing. Verse 5 notes how the aged are afraid of heights. Uh, I don't climb on ladders much anymore, um, and probably you don't either. How they fear situations in daily life they never feared before. How their hair turns white. How because of a lack of strength, a grass, grasshopper is too heavy to pick up. How sexual desire wanes because they're on a long journey home, which is death. Verse six describes the breakdown of brain function, the body in general, the heart and the lungs. Verse seven is the final phase. Uh, the final phase is burial of the body at the, at the separation of the spirit, which returns to God. And that's the way 
That's the way the man under the sun looks at aging and death. In all this description, nothing positive appears. Nothing positive. Nothing hopeful. Uh, nothing victorious. All's gloomy and hopeless. As we saw, it is loss, sad, unspeakable loss. How is it that, how, how, how that, that's how the writer of Ecclesiastes describes old age without Christ. He was writing about the way in which those that approach the Approach, uh, that those that approach it uh, without any future hope and, uh, and, those, uh, and, and these people for whom the present life under the sun is all there is. For these folks, old age truly offers nothing, nothing more than trouble and misery because, because it culminates in the untimely threat, threat of death with, with no hope beyond it. But thank God that's not our lot. The non-biblical perspective is full of fear. And here's a real important point, I think. This is letter, letter number two. Under that, the non-believer is overpowered by fear. So let's refer again to what Paul wrote to the Hebrews about fear. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15, he said, Through the fear of death, they were all their lifetime subject or in bond, uh, subject to bondage. Fear of death for an unbeliever always lies in the back of their mind, always. Often during times of danger, when loved ones die, uh, in days when all seems to be going wrong, uh, this normal suppression of fear emerges. It emerges in full dress to frighten and to terrify. Age is a reminder of the fact of death. Uh, moreover, it's seen, it's seen uh, even as the herald of death, proclaiming its imminent presence, how horrible it must be for the person to continue all of his life with no certainty about the future. That's a horrible thing, isn't it? I thank God that, uh, that somebody loved me enough when I was a teenager to give me the gospel. And that I was able, I came to Christ and accepted Christ as my Savior. I don't have any fear of death. If God, God were to strike me down now, I'd say, praise God, I'm ready to go. There's no fear of death there. God's taken that sting. That sting. Age is a reminder of the fact of death. Moreover, it's seen as a herald. I just read that, didn't I? It's no wonder that, the, that uh, the unbeliever looks skeptically upon old age. It's not that death comes to older folks alone. We all know of people who died in their youth and middle age, but uh, most everyone thinks that he'll die to see old age, whether, he, whether he's right or not. And in this age, when so many others, when so many, when so many other losses occur, as we noted last week, uh, these things remind him of the ultimate loss, that it may lie just around the next corner. None of us know when we're going to die. Uh, I may live to be 90. I don't know. I'm not anticipating that. I'm anticipating heaven. And if God lets me live to 90, that's fine. If it lets me live to 100, it's okay. I really don't want to live that long. I want to go see Jesus. 
I want to live long enough to pester my wife some more. And she definitely wants to live long enough to pester me some more. Don't you, dear? All right. It becomes ever more difficult as a result for unbelievers to keep the underlying fear suppressed. More and more often they find, they find that it keeps popping up. And that's why so many unsaved uh, just furiously throw themselves into every sort of activity they can to ward it off. Uh, they get involved in a lot of things. And sometimes these frenzied efforts seldom work. And embarrassed, stubbornly determined not to give in to those who make attempts to win them to Christ. Um, grasping at straws, many go into their death frightened and scared without any hope and without any savior. That's a sad situation. Others have such a seared conscience um, that, that with a foolhardy brassness, they, they plunge into death cursing God and cursing life, cursing the life that God gave them. So in all cases, Hebrews says, every unbeliever has to deal with fear. Um, he is fear's slave, subject to its bondage like a cruel master bent on getting more than his due. Um, fear's life, uh, fear's, uh, fear lies behind every decision and determination that he makes. He try, uh, tries as he, try as he may, he can't escape it. And uh, consciously or unconsciously, or in clear or, un, or, or, in clear or unrecognized responses, um, he'll, he'll react to death throughout his life. And uh, this, this, is, this, this is more noticeable in declining days than at any other time. But thank God for letter B, the next point. The believer is delivered from fear. The believer is delivered from fear. Jesus came to deal with this stern taskmaster. And Paul says that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Thank God for that. That's what his work on Calvary did. He came to destroy the works of the devil, and he did. Praise God. And verse 15 says, and to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So having Jesus as your savior makes all the difference in old age. If you sit here today with Christ in your heart, it makes a whole lot difference than someone who may be sitting here without Christ. And there may be someone here sitting without Christ. Uh, as far as I can tell, uh, everybody in this auditorium uh, has made a profession of faith. And you, you profess to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I assume you folks have. I haven't heard your testimony, but... You, you even look like Christians. <laughs> you smile and you're so pleasant. But that doesn't make you Christian and you know that. Yeah. But, um, um, but the fear of death, God has taken the fear of death. Uh, there is no longer any sting in death to the believer because Jesus has felt the sting. He felt the sting and he suffered the penalty of, of our breaking of God's law. And consequently, death means to be with Christ is far better. Amen? 
And this makes an enormous difference in how a believer lives out the remaining years of his life. One can face death in old age knowing that there is, there, there is not any, there, there, there is not any, there is not, there is not only a future, but that it is a wonderful one, free from sin and all of its consequences. For the believer, death, death, is, the death is the release from the ailments of old age. Yeah, I've got arthritis now, but you know what? I'm going to, God's going to fix that one of these days. When I die, God's going to fix that. won't be a problem. Death is the death of death. I not only have that statement highlighted in my notes, I think it is in yours too, but I, I've got it highlighted in yellow. Death is a death of death. It can never hurt the believer again, Revelation 21.4. The best of all, it's, with, it's to be with Christ. And that perspective, with all of its resulting benefits, must be the uppermost in our minds as, as, uh, and, and our speech as older, as older folks. One of our main tasks is to remind ourselves daily of the marvelous promises of God to his children. And we ought to do that. As you read through the Bible this year, uh, take note of some of the promises God has given to us of eternal life. Number three, the non-biblical perspective is harmful to the fearless believer. Is there such a faithless, not fearless, faithful, a faithless? I'll get it right here in a minute. The non-biblical perspective is harmful to the faithless believer. Have you ever noticed that not all Christians like they ought to act like they ought to act as Christians? And that's why Paul, in discussing the resurrection of the dead, which some of them, some of them were inclined to doubt, evidently from what he said found it necessary to remind them that their labor is not in vain. They have been laying up treasures in heaven where they were protected by God, where nothing could destroy or corrupt them. Corrupt them. It's also necessary to point out that the stinger has been removed from that, from that dreaded scorpion of death. God's taken the stinger out of him. Christ has taken, the stinger, uh, has taken the stinger of death instead. He took it on the cross as he paid there the price for our sins. The stinger of death is removed. Death for the, death for the believer then should have, should have no hold on horror. No, no, ha, ha, should hold no horror for us. The devil's, the devil's power to terrify has been removed as we're told there in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. And yet, many Christians, because of little faith or because they have been improperly taught, find that the fear of death still plagues them. Now, I don't know. I don't know about you, and I don't want anybody to raise any hands or give any indication of what may be in your heart today. But as you, if you are born again, if you know Christ is your Savior, there's no reason why you should sit here in this class and fear death. None whatsoever. None. The fear of death, the sting of death is gone. God took it. And if it's still stinging you, it's your fault, not God's. Hear me. If you 
still, if you still have, if you still steal, feel the sting of death. Now, in a sense, we do because because what we're going through this aging process is a part of the curse that was brought upon man at, in the fall in the garden. Okay, we understand that, don't we? And so a part, that part of the curse, in a sense, may be a little sting to us. But it shouldn't be a stinger that brings us to a point of frenzy and, and uh, where we fear death. In fact, because we have this little bit of the stinger to remind us that we are getting old, it ought to be a rejoicing in our heart to know that very soon that stinger that Jesus bore is going to be completely gone. And we'll be in the presence of the Lord and enjoy Him. So, many Christians, because of faith and because they have been improperly taught, find that fear of death still plagues them. How can they dispel that fear in old age? We can dispel it with a fear, with, excuse me, with the facts that we find in the Scripture. Now, I have listed several scripture verses there, and I'm not going to take the time to go through these because I'm running out of time. But you can go through those verses of scripture yourself and see where God has promised us eternal life. You know, when, when we're born again, when we, become, when we become a child of God, God gives us at that point eternal life. Eternal life for us as believers doesn't begin when we die. We have it now. God has promised it to us. Uh, and uh, when, when you got saved, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He gave you eternal life. Now we know that everybody's going to live somewhere forever. But the eternal life we're talking about is eternal life with the Savior, with Jesus Christ. Some when, some when they die who do not know Christ, they're going to live in hell for the rest of eternity. But if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, hell should have no fear for you, none whatsoever. You'll never see the flame. You'll never smell the smoke. All you'll see is the presence of our Savior and those who know Christ and who have gone on before you. So that brings us to the final assessment of death, number three, Roman numeral number three, the final assessment of death. Whether we admit it or not, the matter of death is increasingly on our, on our minds. I have to confess that I think about it sometimes. And uh, if we dare to mention it to other people, chances are our comments are going to be uh, deflected by them. All too few people are willing to, to speak about death. Uh, how often do you speak about death? How often do you think about it? How often do you talk about it? Uh, they don't like to be reminded of the reality of its, of its eminence. And so among, uh, so among all of the other matters that affect aging, we should take some opportunities to, to discuss the facts of death. You ever do that? You ever talk about it? Uh, we talk about the facts of life. Uh, I hope that when your children were growing up that you talked about the facts of life with them a little bit. We talk about the facts of life. Why not talk about the facts of death? Folks, it's a pleasant experience for us. Um, 
We, we could talk about our wills to our heirs, if you like. But more importantly than anything else, uh, we can discuss, we can talk about our anticipations of heaven after death. It's no secret. Um, it's, um, it's such a beautiful hope that we have, wonderful hope and promises for us who believe. Uh, our bright future has no limitations. It doesn't. Why not talk about it? Think about that for a minute. Are you afraid to talk about death? Have you ever talked about death with your family, your kids, people you love? I see some of you going like that. Good, good. It's good. I mean, it's going to be a good experience for us, folks. You know, when we go to, you know, as a pastor, I have buried, I've got them enumerated. I've got, I think I've buried close to 300 people in the years of my ministry. And um, I've got a record of all of them. And um, there's, there, there's a sadness that takes place, and normally so. There's nothing wrong with that. Because our loved one has gone, we're going to miss them here on earth. That's normal. Nothing wrong with, with that. That's normal. Um, but there's a reason why Paul says that we sorrow not as those who have no hope. Our sorrow should not be grief. Our sorrow should not overtake us, especially if the one who's departed knew Christ as their Savior. Now, there, there, there can be and maybe should be a different type of sorrow for someone we know that will not make it to heaven because they never trusted Christ as their Savior. But we sorrow not as those who have no hope. And uh, those who have no hope have a reason to grieve, but we don't. We don't. And uh, we don't have any reason to grieve over the possibility of our death. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're okay. It's going to be all right, okay? So, conclusion. I got a minute to give you this whole conclusion, which I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, okay? You've got it there in front of you anyway. You can read it yourself. If you're unsure of your eternal future after death, you need to get that matter settled now, right now. Death is certain. It's one of the most certain events in life. But its manner and its time are uncertain. We don't know how we'll die. We don't know when we'll die. Some of us will die in our sleep. That's my preference, but it may not be God's plan. Uh, I may die some other way. I may die of cancer. I don't have any cancer that I know of right now. Uh, I may just die of old age. Who knows? <laughs> but it's true. It's certain if the Lord tires his coming, we're all going to die, all of us. It's a certain thing. You can't get around it. You can explain it. You can analyze it. You can do a lot of things about it. But the truth is we're all going to die sometime if Jesus tires his coming. We have to recognize, um, recognize that, uh, that you, you deserve the eternal punishment of your sin. If you're not sure that you're on your way to heaven right now, do something about it. 
Um, recognize that you deserve eternal punishment for your sin and believe that Christ died on the cross in your place, taking your punishment, taking that sting of death upon himself. Repent of your sin, turn to Christ, and the guarantee that God gives you that he loves you enough to give you assurance that, he's, that, he's, that, that Christ can save you is the fact that, that God brought him out of the grave for our justification to prove that, that, uh, that he can raise us unto himself as well. If you lack assurance of salvation, it may stem from two different things. As a believer, uh, there may have been a time in your life when you confessed your sins, you repented of it, you came to Christ, but you're having doubts. There's two, uh, there's two possibilities. Either you're not a Christian after all, even though you've represented yourself as one, or you have accepted some false teaching that leads you to doubts. And uh, I gave you some verses there uh, where God gives us the assurance of our eternal life. And if we'll trust those verses, just trust what God said. That's what it all boils down to. God didn't ask you to do anything to get saved. He did, it all. He did all the work. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. And it's not by works of righteousness which we can do that he saves us. But it's by his mercy, by his grace. And we're saved by His grace. And that's where we need to put our faith. And, uh, and so if you have been plagued by some false teaching that, uh, that you can lose your salvation, uh, look at those verses that I gave you. Those verses are steadfast. Just look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He did what? He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish. What's it mean? What do you think God meant by that? He says you won't perish. Well, what if I sin? Well, did you place your trust in Christ's work on the cross? Yeah. You'll not perish. You got it? God gave it to you. Take it. Believe it. Accept it. These things have I written, John said that you may know that you have eternal life. That's in, third, that's in uh, 1 John chapter 5. That you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to guess about it. It's a dead sure thing, okay? Well, you, you, you read the rest of it. And, uh, and by the way, if, if you're having these doubts and you need some help, come to me or Brother Sarah and let us, let us help you with that. Will you? Please don't, please don't go on doubting, wondering, uh, fearing. You don't have to. You don't have to. Father God, thank you so much for taking the sting of death. And thank you, God, that we don't have to be in bondage to that anymore. That you freed us from that through Christ, your Son. As he paid the price of our sins upon Calvary and has given us eternal life as we believe on Him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. 
and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.